Good morning. We are super glad you're here at First Christian Church this morning uh, to worship with us the God who never leaves the one and never leaves us behind. We are in John 3 today. I want you to turn there with us. We're going to be looking at a few verses. Um, If you need a Bible or a study guide for this series, those are coming down the aisles now. Um, One of our guest services peeps um, can help you with that. Just get their attention and let them know if you need a study guide for this series called uh, God and Culture. Um, This is what we use for our small groups curriculum um, that that mixes with... uh, that coordinates with our sermon series. You can also use it for yourself. There is uh, uh, space to take notes for today if you'd like to, uh, you know, draw instead of... That would be a nice, good, creative thing to do on a producing art day. Um, We're going to be reading just two verses in just a moment here in John 3, verses 14 and 15. Um, And then we'll be looking at a few other places there. But I want you to have that handy... Um, in just a moment because we're going to pray um, in a little bit in a few minutes and read those verses together. I um, want to tell you a few things that are going on in the life of our congregation. Um, if you were here last week, you heard this spiel, um, but I want to repeat it just so you make sure you get your heads around it And uh, because we are in a time and age where if you don't say something seven times, nobody hears it. Um, I want to give you some updated metrics about where we are in, in terms of current momentum Um, at First Christian Church and ask you to continue to help us uh, uh, build on that momentum to continue to make some more capacity and room for more people to find and follow Jesus. That's our mission here at First Christian. We're about helping people find and follow Jesus. And uh, we we do that in what we call the seven habits. Uh, We intentionally incorporate those seven habits into all areas of ministry. You are here and present and accounted for for engaged in worship, number one. So congratulations, you're 11.1% repeating done for the week. You can get to the 88.89. Sorry. More like the English thing for me than math. Um, Speaking of math, before Easter, we were averaging right at 400 in attendance. Um, On Easter, we had 600, uh, which is kind of typical. You have a ton more um, for that day. Um, But the last three weeks, we've been averaging 450 in attendance for us on Sundays, which is a gargantuan change for us. It's a lot more people. Um, We're glad you're here if you're new with us. Um, We now have about an active pool of 650 to 700 who consider us their church home. Um, Since the beginning of 2018, we have had um, well over 300 first-time guests here at First Christian Church. Let that simmer for a second, those of you all who have been around for a while. Um, since um, the beginning of 2018, we've had 34 um, memberships, baptisms at Regeneration Recovery downstairs on Monday nights. We've had 40 new people try us out in the first month, um, and we've been averaging about 85 people um, at Regen on Monday nights. Um, during the first two months of Next Steps, and if you don't know what Next Steps is, don't worry, we'll tell you about three times the rest of this service. Um, during the first two months of Next Steps, we've had about 70 different people Um, attend and participate in that. The point is this. Uh, We are currently experiencing some momentum. Uh, We believe First Christian Church is worth your investment, and we need help. (laughs) Uh, We'd like to ask you to help us continue to effectively connect people to the body of Christ. That's what we're here to do. Help people find and follow Jesus by connecting to God's people, the body of Christ. So how can you help? Good question. Glad you asked. Let me name six ways. 
Just thought we had TVs. Okay. Um, this is relatively easy. Um, if you could be early front and center, that helps us a lot more than you may realize. Uh, what often happens when people come in, if they're new, is they look from the back and they go, there's no room for me. Well, actually, there are six or seven here, five there, four there. So, so what that does when you're early front and center is it helps build capacity for new people to feel like there's a place for me here. <laughs> so um, we've added in the last couple of weeks 40 additional chairs which is why it feels a little less like together than it has. Um, things feel a little more intimate today. Um, so we want to fill those seats. Um, so if you'll commit to being early front and center, um, that would be super helpful for us. If you can commit to coming to the first service at 9 a.m., I know that sounds early on a Sunday, but please, you're up at 7 a.m. every other day. 9 a.m. Uh, first service on Sundays and then serving second uh, service that would help us a ton because not only does it create com- some capacity and space here in the second service where guests come, um, it also means that you can serve during that time when we have new people. Um, that helps us create a warm and a welcoming environment so that when those doors open, we're saying, "Hey, we're here to love on you for the sake of you being a part of the body of Christ." Um, so early front and center would be relatively easy, even though at the end there it began to sound a little complicated. <laughs> Just come early and sit up here. Next uh, four things I want to tell you about our teams that we need some help on in particular. The first is the admin team. Admin team people um, do lots of cool things in the offices on computers with spreadsheets and numbers and names. Okay. Um, The next thing is uh, hospitality. If spreadsheets and numbers and keep track of names and working computers feels like eef, but you love people, and when they walk in the doors, you want to grab them and and, and smile at them, then hospitality is probably for you. If that's not you, uh, admins probably for you. First service thought that was funnier than you did. (laughs) Apparently it's not that funny. We'll strike that for third service which we used to have. Um, Care team is um, a team that if you've been here for a number of weeks and seen what happens on Sunday mornings, there's a team of people over here toward the end of the service who are here to pray with you, uh, to discuss, hey, what your next step in faith with Jesus might look like. Um, So that's on the face of it, what you see of the care team, but they actually do a ton more than that, caring for people uh, behind the scenes. Um, They take meals to people, they visit people, um, they write note cards to people. Um, A lot of important kind of care for people um, that the care team is a part of. So um, those are a few of the teams we really need some help with. And then also, number five, we could really use your help with Kidsmen. We need about another half dozen volunteers about two months ago to help us um, take two classes and divide them. Um, You may not be aware, but there are probably over 100 kids downstairs from zero through fifth grades, um, and we need uh, helpers to take care of those kids well. Uh, To create an environment of safety where they know that they can learn about Jesus and parents can be up here knowing that their kids are well cared for. So um, that's a few of the things we want you to be a part of. Um, And this this is the kind of thing that churches do when they grow. Um, and, and let me, this is a welcome to growth kind of moment for us. Uh, growth is something that requires sac- sacrifice. Uh, let me say it this way. To accommodate anyone else in our lives individually requires personal sacrifice, right? You've been married, right? Okay. 
You've had a relationship with any other human being on the planet, right? Okay. Requires personal sacrifice to accommodate someone else. That's true at an individual level. It is mega true here as well. And we want to continue to put our structures and systems together in a way so that your personal growth and our corporate growth, it's the same thing. It requires us being bought in to what God's doing here for that growth to continue. So we want to continue to become a place that's faithful to what God's asking us to do and what he's sending to us, which is people who need to connect to the body of Christ uh, for the sake of helping them find and follow Jesus. So for the record, everything we've just talked about and that momentum stuff is why we keep every Sunday talking about number six, next steps. A bunch of you knew this was coming. We talk about this every week because next steps is a place where this vision for how all this works is, is, is given to you on paper. You watch a video, you sit around a table, you ask questions, you get to learn um, what this process is like in ways we don't have time to talk about here. And so every week, except for this one, every week um, we have this, this place downstairs that is a comprehensive look at the how and the why of our system and our vision and our seven habits. It's the ideal place Uh, Whether you're an FCC newbie or you've been here your whole life, it's the ideal place to learn about how you can help us build capacity uh, for helping people find and follow Jesus. It's a key piece of our work, by the way. Next Steps is a key piece of our work um, toward launching our first multi-site campus in uh, February 2019. Um, So don't delay. Be a part of Next Steps soon. Um, It's a part of how we learn to nail it before we scale it. You can take that home, business people. (laughs) Nail it before you scale it. Uh, so come join us next week for session one. Um, we're going to read in just a moment here John 3. So I want you to have that handy here. John 3. We're just going to look at uh, two verses here, 14 and uh, 15. Uh, and before we jump in, let me just mention um, this week, um, would like for you to pray for the Tommy and Leslie Staggs and Wes and Emily Ford families and I, um, because this whole week, basically, we're going off to what's called a campus pastor assessment. It's sort of like a multi-site campus pastor boot camp. Um, there's a lot of training and testing and, and assessment that goes on. Um, it's a pretty rigorous week of testing, um, and it's a part of our training for going multi-site and our plans behind the scenes. So please be uh, praying for us if you think about it. All right, let's go ahead and read John 3, and then we'll pray and get into the Word in our time together. John 3:14 and 15, they say this. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Let's read that again. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Father in heaven, we ask that you would open our hearts and minds to hear afresh from you today so that we would leave this place changed, more in love with your son Jesus, more aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, more grateful to you for what you've done to save us from the pit of sin in which we find ourselves. Father, continue to use your word to instruct us, to give us a vision for how you've given us um, the, the resources around us for the sake of your goodness and glory. Uh, give us a, a vision uh, to make things, to produce things, 
that even in the means as well as the end, uh, people will look and say, there is something about this person and that product that points beyond them to your heart and your character and your nature. Father, we ask that you would use this time toward that end. We submit ourselves to the authority of your word. And we ask that you would continue to form and shape us after your image as we submit ourselves to it today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So yesterday here in uh, God's country of East Tennessee, um, we rediscovered the sun. Uh, Maybe you had forgotten about that big yellow ball in the sky, um, but it's still there. It exists, and uh, we rediscovered it here in East Tennessee. Um, It was beautiful yesterday, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely beautiful. I mean, after like six or seven attempts, spring has finally sprung for us, hasn't it? (laughs) And and I don't know about you, but but for the 90% of us, I think, I know I'm including myself in that, for the 90% of us who are selfly diagnosed as having that seasonal affective disorder problem, yesterday to me felt like, yay, there's hope in the world. (laughs) The sun was out. Um, It was the perfect temperature, a slight breeze, which meant you could bring the windows up at home. Uh, The grass is actually green again. Flowers actually blooming. Kids were playing at the park. Uh, People were mowing their lawns, driving with their windows down. Because it's East Tennessee, they were waving at everybody they don't know. (laughs) Holding their sweet tea out the window like, yay, the sun. (laughs) It was beautiful. It was perfect weather. uh, And I hope you had a chance uh, to enjoy it. Who had a chance to go enjoy it outside? Everybody go outside? Yes. Look at you. Yes. All right. Cool. Me, I stayed inside and I wrote a sermon about how it was beautiful outside. (laughs) That's that's pretty much what I did. So I hope you all enjoyed the sun. (laughs) I had you hope to hope you had a chance to enjoy the weather outside. I was inside suffering for Jesus. You're welcome. (laughs) Frolicking outside, y'all. Sweet tea and flowers. Um, And then our 16-year-old broke two of her toes and we went to the ER, so hope you enjoyed your outside. (laughs) Uh, Seriously, though, sort of sarcastic, poor me aside, um, it was absolutely beautiful outside. And I don't know about you, but I know that for me when it's beautiful out, um, it renews in me a sense of hope. um, and, And I'd even go so far as to say it sort of inspires me to dream again. Um, I know that for many of us, as soon as I say something sort of highfalutin like that, you go, I'm depressed. It's always raining, even when it's not. And I get some of that. I do. It could be sunny and beautiful outside, and I'm like, there's 5% chance of precipitation, and sun gives me headaches. So (laughs) there's always that. But even for me yesterday, I felt like this renewed sense of hope. I really did. So just, just think about that effect. Think about the effect of one spring, sunny, beautiful day on our disposition. When the grass is green and the flowers are blooming and spring finally happens, 
we go away with this renewed sense of purpose and meaning. And maybe yesterday, like me, you dreamed about like, okay, I'm going to get my, my, my life straight in this, these kinds of ways. Let's, let's clean the house. Let's, let's wash the car. Let's write a sermon. Um, you, you know, you, you think about these things and you have this renewed sense of vigor and hope and purpose for them. Maybe you were inspired to take up something that you've been holding off. Maybe you got a project done yesterday that you, you know, had been waiting to, to get done. That happened for my wife yesterday, and uh, with no prompting from me so that it could be a sermon illustration, it happened to my sunny-dispositioned wife, who, as I'm inside, you know, suffering for Jesus, writing a sermon, she led me out to the back porch uh, where she showed me this beautiful floral creation that she just whipped up out of nowhere. It's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, good stuff. She's creative like that. After she left to buy groceries, by the way, I figured I'd go ahead and uh, take a selfie with it. There we go. (laughs) She had no idea. True story, I'm sitting there on the back porch, and the lady at the house next to us looks over watching me going like this. I knew that guy was weird, but wow. Hurting for entertainment. <laughs> so last week I kind of joked um, about, you know, weak sauce preachers using pictures because they're lazy. So I guess that's me this week using pictures. Uh, another picture I want to show you is this. Anybody ever been to the Grand Canyon? Grand Canyon peeps? Yes. The Grand Canyon, for those of you who have been there and for those of you who have not, the Grand Canyon feels otherworldly. It's an experience. It's not something you just say you saw. It's something you say you experienced. That's kind of the right word to use because when I saw the Grand Canyon, I stood there at sunrise absolutely in speechless awe of the vast expanse that was in front of me, trying to come to terms with a tangible sense of my smallness. From where I stood at the Grand Canyon, you could look down at the bottom of the canyon, and you could barely see the Colorado River after about a good minute or two of looking, because it's this tiny little dental floss of thread from where we were standing. It's like a mile and a half away from where we were, and you could just barely make it out. And I was standing there from that distance, looking down at the little thread of the Colorado River at the bottom, and you begin to realize, as you hear the park ranger describing the facts about it and this vast expanse in front of you, you begin to realize that this little thread of river It's actually a football field wide. And it's not some lazy little creek in your backyard. It's this raging rapids that is moving at an average of 22,000 cubic feet of water per second. But you can barely see it. It's this experience of the awe and the wonder of creation that points to an awesome God. In the real sense of the word, awesome. If you've ever been to the redwoods or the sequoias and you've stood at the base of a tree that's so big you can drive a truck through it, then you know what I mean. Maybe you've been to one of, you know, a few dozen places easily in the world where you can sit there and have a sense, a tangible sense 
of your personal smallness and God's bigness. I remember sitting at Bryce Canyon at sunset, looking at these crazy formations, thinking, what planet am I on? The beauty and the wonder of creation is a signal to us. It's a signal to us of a big and a beautiful God. And here's the thing. It's not just in the Grand Canyon. It's not just in the big and the huge and the awe-inspiring things. It can even be in the everyday and the mundane things that we easily take for granted, that we don't always think of, that we're not always aware of. Everyday things around us in creation are meant to be signals just like the Grand Canyon of a big and a beautiful God who puts creation together. Drawings and paintings, poetry and pottery, a well-crafted piece of furniture, a beautiful flower basket on the back of your porch, something funny one of your kids might happen to say, something you made at work, maybe a project you completed at home, a good cry at the end of a movie. All of these things are everyday experiences of the goodness and the beauty and the worth of a creator. It can even be a whole bunch of things you're not aware of, not thinking of. I know, I know a bunch of you won't really think about this one, but I watch soccer players on the field, and I think, man, that's unbelievable, because I know how not good I am and how good they are. If you watch LeBron James at the end of the game, with a late game block and a steal and a three for the win in the span of a few seconds last week, you thought, man, I do the amazing. If you've ever experienced, and a few of you have, I have a few times, okay, lots of times, <laughs> standing at the plate and you experience the snap of the bat where the ball hits the sweet spot and you don't even feel it, but the next thing you know, you see it sailing over the wall for a homer. That's a legit feeling. And here's, here's what it makes me think. Sometimes things actually work right. Sometimes things do work right. Sometimes the sun is out and it's beautiful and there's hope. <laughs> like yesterday. It's not all held together with duct tape. It's not just one big experience of trying to Undo the curse of Genesis. Life's frustrating. Things don't always work right. Yes, that's true. But sometimes things do work. And God is taking the world somewhere. And guess what? You get to be a part of it. If you will understand how the stuff he's given you and the stuff of creation around you and the resources you have were given to you to do what he does to bring him glory. That's the only way you're going to enjoy life. It's the only way. It's the only way it's not just going to be whole, uh, held together with duct tape for you. We need to remember, as we've been saying in this series, this God and Culture series, we need to remember that the things we do, the things we make, the stuff of creation, uh, the stuff of earth, even the everyday things, <laughs> the things we do and we make can point people to a God who transcends the stuff of earth. And our everyday uh, work and, and stuff we make can be a part of that. The stuff we do can be signals of God's creativity and his goodness and his truth and his beauty. Even our work can point to a God who transcends this world. And there's a crazy conversation in the Gospel of John that tells us why this works this way. 
shows us this in operation. It's a story between Jesus and a Jewish Bible teacher whose name is Nicodemus. And we pick up this story in John 3, right on the heels of Jesus telling Nicodemus how you have to be born again to see the kingdom of God. He's trying to teach Nicodemus, uh, in essence, the gospel, the good news about himself by using an earthly example of having to be born again. If you've ever heard of that concept of being born again, reborn spiritually, it comes from here in John 3. This is where Jesus teaches Nicodemus this. Look at verse 3 in John 3. That's where we'll pick it up in the middle of this conversation. He's trying to teach him this truth, and he says this to Nicodemus. Truly, truly, I say to you, press pause, truly, truly, I say to you is sort of this, I'm speaking with authority as a rabbi kind of thing to say. If you don't know what a rabbi is, think like Jewish Bible Jedi. So truly, I say to you, Jesus speaking to Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, He cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus is trying to teach Nicodemus here that the character of the one born comes from the source that gave it birth. The character of the one born comes from the source that gave it birth. So only someone born of spirit can see the kingdom of God. Being born of flesh, born Jewish, born Christian, born fundamentalistic, born progressive, whatever you want to label yourself, all that stuff isn't going to let you see the kingdom of God. Only being born of the spirit is what means that you can be a part of and experience and see the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus at this point is quite confused about what Jesus is trying to say. Jesus talking about having to be reborn. And Nicodemus thinks he means being physically reborn in order to be spiritually reborn. Like Jesus is saying this to Nicodemus. He goes, I, I have to what? So he's confused. And Jesus says this, jump down to verse 12. He says, if I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? In other words, if you can't understand the basics of following Jesus 101, how am I going to explain to you anything deeper? So what Jesus does at this point, he sort of starts over. He presses reset on what he's teaching. And he gives him another example. And he begins with an example that Nicodemus would know from the Old Testament. And there's some cool stuff here that helps us understand why producing art matters. Jump down to verse Uh, 14 there. This is our key verse for the morning. It says this, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, this is a reference to a story we'll tell you about in a few seconds, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Just as Moses lifted up that serpent, so must I, the Messiah, Jesus is saying, be lifted up and glorified through death. Which makes sense to most of us who understand the cross, understand Jesus, know what it means that he's glorified in his death. Because we know about the cross, right? Like he literally was lifted up on a cross, he was killed, his glorification for us means that we can have salvation. But that act of dying for sin and being lifted up on the cross to Nicodemus made no sense at all. So he explains it to him. He explains it to him by saying, remember when Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. So we're not going to turn there, but this sort of snake story, if you want to look it up later, happens in in Numbers 21. Numbers 21, if you want to look it up a little bit later. This is where the Old Testament people of God were wandering in the wilderness 
They were grumbling. They were rebelling against God, whining about how they wanted to go back to Egypt. They'd rather go there. We had pots of meat, which you know, it wasn't true, but that's what they said. They wanted to do that instead of believing in the Lord's provision for them in the desert. So they were disobedient. And so God sent a plague of snakes. A little bit weird. But if you don't believe in sin, that may seem on the face of it needlessly retaliatory. I get that feeling. Um, A Plague of Snakes also incidentally sounds like a bad Samuel L. Jackson movie. (laughs) But the sending of snakes was not an undeserved punishment. Think about this. If a God is entirely perfect and holy and he deserves perfect obedience from us, then the truth of the matter is our disobedience deserves a lot worse than snake bites. And he didn't just leave them to their own devices at the time. God said, if you're not going to listen to me, I'll give you a tangible picture of sin and salvation. So he tells Moses, because of this plague of snakes, he tells Moses to make a bronze snake and to set it on a pole so that those who got bitten by the snakes could look up at it Look up at that snake, at that serpent, the bronze serpent, and God would heal them. Simple as that. Get bitten, look up at the snake, healed. No matter how horribly they'd been bitten, no matter how many times they had been bitten, they could look up at the snake and be healed. And only those who didn't believe in God's provision for healing died from snake bite. We track it. So that's the gist. Think about this. Two times in this conversation, Jesus and Nicodemus, Jesus uses tangible, earthly, relatively mundane, everyday concepts to communicate heavenly truth. In fact, in the second instance, when Nicodemus didn't understand this whole rebirth thing, in the second instance, Jesus pointed to an artwork, an artifact, this bronze serpent to teach Nicodemus the gospel. Here's the crazy thing. (laughs) You can do the same thing. You can teach the gospel. You can point to God. You, you, You can make stuff. You can use the resources around you in ways that teach about a God who transcends this world. I would go so far as to say, you can teach the gospel from what you make. Not just from the product, but the means of production. In fact, a little secret here. A little secret that uptight Christians don't like to admit. You don't have to know everything about the Lord to teach someone something about the Lord. You don't have to know everything about God or the Bible or Jesus or the Lord to teach someone something about God, Jesus, the Bible, salvation. The problem with Christians today isn't that they don't know enough. The problem with Christians today is they don't do enough with what they already know. Christians are educated beyond the level of their obedience. And and, and what we're saying in the series is what you do and what you make and how you work and your creativity, your ingenuity, your craftsmanship, 
can all point to a God who transcends the stuff of earth. You need to know this because you can have a sense of your everyday, mundane things you do, how you work, being something that has a larger and higher purpose to it. What you produce can look like, not just as the product, but the means of how you make it. It can look like the truth and the beauty and the goodness of God. In fact, I would go so far as to say that something becomes art, in a sense, in a generic sense, becomes art when it communicates something true about the world beyond itself. Jesus did this all the time. He drew in the dirt when a whole bunch of self-righteous people were standing around him. He drew in the dirt to say that only those who need help with their sin and are aware of it are the ones who call on him as Savior. Uh, Jesus taught about a woman who searched her whole house to find the coin that represented how God searches for sinners. God spoke of a a tiny mustard seed faith and that it could move mountains. He took bread and fish and he taught thousands how it was that his father made provision for them. Jesus did this all the time. He used the the stuff around him. He used the resources available to him. He, he, He used the stewardship of creation for the purpose of God's goodness and glory being made known. Jesus did this. We can do this. The question for us is this. What are we doing with the resources around us to create environments of beauty and goodness that point people to a God who transcends this earth? You see, you can make stuff so it makes you look amazing. You can use resources for self. We're all well aware of this. But the question is, what are you doing? What are you making? What is your life producing that points people to the holiness and the truth and the beauty of God? How is what you do on Monday tied to the glory of God? Now, I'm not suggesting we all go home and (laughs) try to forge a bronze snake and put it on a stick. I'm sure a few of you already have, you know, drawings of sermon notes with serpents on them. And you may not be able to do anything other than draw stick figures like me. But the point isn't so much the thing produced as the truth the thing points to. In fact, later in the history of the Old Testament people of God, uh, they began to miss the point And they began to worship the bronze serpent itself that Moses had made. And so King Hezekiah smashed it. This isn't about making artifacts that become idols. Uh, This isn't even about making an argument that there is some sort of inherent worth or value in a thing apart from the glory of God, him breathing life into it. This is about us learning that we are called and created and given the stuff of earth around us to use them in a way that God, the gardener, the city planner, the art producer did himself for us. We can do stuff that points people to a God who is bigger than us. There's something transcendent that happens when we faithfully take the resources God's given us and we use them in ways that point to him. 
So the lesson's easy. This is an easy one today. Go and make stuff. That's valuable. God's given you gifts. He's given you resources. He's given you a brain to put things together in a certain way. So go and produce things that communicate God's goodness and His beauty, knowing that God values that work and those efforts. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says that whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Whatever you eat or drink, whatever furniture you're making, whatever basket of flowers you're producing, whatever sermon you're writing, whatever assignment you're doing for school, whatever lawn you're mowing, whatever business you're running, whatever family you're helping make happen well, whatever it is, do it all to the glory of God. So the lesson today is easy. Go from here and paint and sow and garden and farm, parent and write and work as if what you do and what you make points to a God who loves us. Let's pray, friends. Simply put, Lord, in the quiet of this moment, we want to confess that we have taken the stuff of earth and we have continued to find ways to make things that satisfy us as if that's the reason for which you gave them in the first place. Lord, teach us the truth that our satisfaction is found in selflessness that looks like your son Jesus. In living a life that gives away. In in producing things that show care. (laughs) That we could go so far as to say the way we work, uh, the way we make things, uh, is, is for us an act of love. that what we would produce might be something that, uh, that is excellent. And the people look at our work and they say, that man, that, that woman has a higher purpose in mind. Not just in the product at the end, but also the means. God, give us a vision, a personal vision and a corporate vision um, for faithfully stewarding what you've given us, Lord. Forgive us for usurping your purposes and making them our own. Father, continue to correct us as we give ourselves to the work of your Spirit in us to renew us and to make us after your image. As we leave this place, Lord, give us opportunities to make things that help others, that that reflect the goodness and truth and beauty of your character. Uh, So that as we do that, as we give ourselves an offering, uh, you would use that to bring yourself glory and us contentment and satisfaction. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.